Art Yourself Alive podcast with your host Vicky Parker, sharing lived experience stories of the power of creativity to support your mental health and well-being. So welcome, welcome to the uh, podcast episode today. And I want to bring a really, really warm welcome to my very, very good friend, um, Annie Murray. She is just an, an amazing, amazing inspiration to have on this show. Annie, I think your story is absolutely incredible and really inspirational. And uh, the impact of the way in which you share that wisdom in the community is also incredible. So just to say hello, Annie. Welcome. How are you? Hi, Vicky. Well, first of all, I'm excited. I'm so excited to have been asked on this. And I, I love this, this podcast and the the meaning behind it just it, it excites me because it's a, it's the exact pr- approach that I have to creativity and business and my life. So yes. I was dead keen to come on here and obviously to speak to a, a good friend who I've known for what three or four years now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have we've done many amazing things together in the past, and we've yeah. shared our stories, you know, on many of the same platforms in the past as well. So yes, um, for the listeners, this is Annie Murray. She is a beacon of light in the community. She is the founder and CEO of a film and media production company called Edit Suite Limited. She is also the founder of Horizon. It's a charitable group that brings amazing work into the community using creativity in support of addiction and addiction recovery. And we will get much more into that a bit later. Um, And she'll be able to tell you her story and tell you how she is spreading that arty wisdom into the lives of other people who are ready, who are really ready to take up that mantle for themselves, because that's what this podcast is about. This podcast is about you understanding as the listener that there may be some challenges that you had in your life or that are having in your life, but that there are also some very simple and accessible tools through creative process that you can then use to support yourself in healing through that process and through that journey. And Annie, the reason why I want to talk to you is because you are absolutely a shining example of that of using creative process to be able to bring yourself through some very very challenging times so before we do that let's dig in to the essence of why I bring any kind of creative work to anybody and that is this playful childlike spirit that's within all of us to play to be free to just be in complete flow and to just be not mindful of anything else other than being in the zone. And what I want to invite all of my guests to do is to just tap into some childhood memories of your own of where you remember being in that zone, being in that playful space. Please tell us about that. For me? Yes, for you. Um, I want to hear everybody's story, everybody yes. else's story. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for a whole room full to respond then. Um, for me, the, 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 the playful space, I mean, is connecting my childhood to my adulthood. And, you know, through my addictions, which is part of my story, my downfall, my problem, my nemesis, um, I was in addiction for about 15 years where I was not creative, not one jot. Um, and it was a dark, dark space. Um you know, my, my mind was was controlled with uh, drink and drugs. It was controlled solely by having this poison put into my mm. body on a daily yeah. basis. Um, I was completely addicted and dependent. So I had no space for creativity. I had no space to be playful. You know, people think that you, if you're on drink and drugs all the time, you're going to be fun. You're going to be playful. You're going to be silly. You're going to be childish. When actually the reality, my reality was a horrible space of self-loathing, depression, sadness, and this real kind of numbness to all of my creativity. So for Mm. 15 years, I lost out big time. But in my recovery, uh, in six years of recovery, I found my playfulness again and my creativity through my playfulness. Um, So that had to very much connect to my childhood, of course. You know, and we all remember times... um, 
you know, when we're little and we have our little art aprons that we put on at school, they used to make a funny noise and they used to smell weird. You know, we, all these strange nostalgic smells and sights and, and, and memories pop back into, into my mind personally. But I came from a really creative family and um, there was a lot of music. There was a lot of arts and crafts. My mum would always be <laughs> setting us up with some knitting or some paints or some crayons. And, you know, we we'd literally create most of the time. We didn't spend a whole lot of time watching TV and things like that. It was, it was either real activity, uh, sports, games. Um, but, you know, for me, everything sort of goes back to performance-based playfulness. Um, I used to love dressing up, being in plays, being a different character. Um, I used to find it quite safe as well. Um, mm -hmm. Pretending to be someone else was quite safe for me. Um, I think that was that my insecurities used to lead me to believe that actually I wasn't good enough on my own. So through acting and singing and performing and playing around with that, I found parts of myself. I could be more confident. I could be, you know, somebody different. So I, I enjoyed that very much. But, um, you know, my mum's actually a, a world famous artist she's a sculptor so I mean that has, has grown over the years but since I was little you know my, the whole fam the way of working was to get up do your arts and crafts create these things build it up into a collection sell it at craft fairs at weekends mm. be a bit of a salesperson as well as a photographer as well as the creator so that was normal you know going into an office 95 was not normal so my family are very playful very creative very mm. um open-minded with what's possible. And I think that stood me in good stead as to how I, you know, what future I saw for myself. It didn't have to be, you know, nine to five in an office or going to university. Mm. It didn't have to be any of those things. But, you know, my, my playfulness lasted right into my college years. My, my childhood playing, I went into um, a theatrical school where Kate Winslet had, had, had just had her Titanic fame. So I was really honored to have been selected as one of the students there and they were two of my happiest years in 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 the world ever mm. um because I got to dress up and play all day long so you know a huge chunk of my life up until addiction was about playing <laughs> basically that's, that's really interesting because as you're speaking I completely resonate with the idea because of, of, of dressing up and being another character because mm. my background as you know is also in theatre mm. and as you've just talked about your family there something just really struck me okay it's like you've had a real, really clear experience of the pathway from being in the playful space to really executing it and making it into a thing and making it into a business or a career or something mm. like that, giving you that awesome permission not to have to do anything else with your life, but be able to pursue creativity, which is great. So I'm wondering where in that was just the creativity just for you? Aha. Okay. So just, for, that's an interesting one because obviously that, you know, it leads to, to earning money and it's a business and yes. it was, yeah, it was very much ingrained in me that kind of, you know, art can be a business. It can be a way of life. It is a way of life. Absolutely. Mm, it, it is. Yeah. A way of life. Um, but for me, um, I used to love films a lot. So I would recreate scenes <laughs> in my bedroom <laughs> on my own. I was not an only child, but my brother and sister were a lot older, so I didn't have them to play with. They were too old to play with me. I was too little. And um, so I'd recreate scenes from, one of my favorites was, was Waterworld. Do you remember with Kevin Costner? I do. <laughs> and I used to pretend I was on this boat that I owned and I was, you know, growing my plants and I was, you know, grabbing things out of the sea. So I would, you know, my bed was my boat and, you know, I had a lot of kind of fantasy uh in that but for me the creativity the real arty side um and you, I never really sort of link music to art but it is an art form absolutely is an art form so when I was eight I was given my first guitar um and I've been playing ever since and I turned that into a bit of a career um really mm -hmm. I, I became a professional song singer songwriter I had uh, albums and and record deals and bands and I play regularly up in London support some amazing big artists as I grew older but when I was younger, uh, learning chords, learning the guitar, that escapism, yeah. that that ability to just let yourself go in, in your little bedroom, playing around, singing, and then getting that thrill. I remember, yeah. and I still get it occasionally, um, that thrill when you hear a really good melody or you've come up with something or some words come together 
and you know, you're, I, was, I was only eight, but by the time I was 14, I was playing in the, in the local cellar bar. Uh, it was a local club, singer-songwriter club. Uh, so I started young with that and it became a very real thing for me to become a, a pop star, really, a bit of a music star. Yeah. Uh, that was my first dream. So, you know, I didn't think small. It wasn't just a bit of creativity. I wanted to show the world. I wanted to share mm. with the world what I'd created. And I think, you know, only up until recently have I realized the importance of music and how it connects people. Because yeah. I used to think it was just for me. And it's not. Yeah. It's, it's very much your words, your melodies, your creation that comes together that other people can connect with and not feel so alone. You know, with heartbreak, with, yeah. with disappointments, with, with the joyful moments too. So actually a lot of my songs were very happy, very happy, because I had nothing really much terrible to write about (laughs) at the age of eight. (laughs) I think that's really interesting that you're making a distinction there, because there is a distinction. Mm. Um, The creative process in and of itself is huge for the internal landscape of the person. And then there's the other step of allowing that to be witnessed and allowing that to be shared by other people. And those two things are not necessarily joined. No, not at all. They're very, very different animals. So I'm loving that you expressed that you had that in the zone moment when you were, you know, with the the excitement of the chords and the melodies and stuff like that. And then that awareness for yourself that there is a possibility to share and there is a possibility to impact other people with you know the the arts that you create because we are all in a collective experience we are all walking each other home looking at this emotional landscape that we're all living in looking at the external and the inst- in, and the internal and artists have an enormous role to play don't they in in allowing us to identify with something else that somebody else is doing and of course, music, like you say, is, is the language of the universe. It's the language of the world. It's the language without words that everybody can understand. And so I totally resonate with that as well. But I just really wanted to make that distinction that you can be creative and it's not small, even if nobody else sees it. And I wondered what your thoughts are on that. There's things that I do that, that aren't shared. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, there's things that I've done in the past. I used to paint a lot a lot I used to love doing portraits um and you know big big you know massive canvases of, of famous people I used to have a bit of a fascination with famous people so I'd get my black and white you know paints out and I would think big and I would create these big images of these these well-known people and I did try to start selling them when you know when I was fairly young you know but I think my mm, my self-esteem got the better of me. I could see imperfections and I was yeah. never happy. I was never happy with the finished result. You know, looking back at some amazing pictures and one actually uh, did a Bob Marley picture and it got um, bought by an American museum and, uh, you know, something to be really proud of. But I think after that, I stopped because that oh, pressure, I think it became Again, a pressure yeah. to create, you know, to order for, for yes. customers putting it out online I felt really vulnerable so I stopped and now I just do it for myself um as my release you know it's fun it's lovely to see something coming together and also I can make mistakes and keep them to myself so it's safe and there's a huge that's a huge deal isn't it to be able to make mistakes and keep it to yourself Mm. Yeah, I think mistakes are the, 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 the way that we learn. So yeah. I learned that from my mum. She would sculpt many, many faces over the years and <laughs> some really funny faces come out. <laughs> you know, some really ugly ones, some really lopsided ones, you know, and they went in the bin and that's fine. But she shared that with us as kids and we, you know, we could see the trial and error. We could see yeah. the mistakes. We could see that she was striving for perfection. So we yeah. were taught that perfection is really what you want to put out in the world. And, and that's not a great thing because yeah. actually... You know, I've been to see um, gigs and some of the best gigs I've ever seen is where the artists, your big idols are on stage in front of you and they get it wrong. But you feel more connected to them because that makes them human. Yes. So actually, yeah, we've got to we've got to maybe not strive for perfection so much, but really see it as a process and sharing that process warts and all. I think it's really, really important. And yes, it's vulnerable. Yes, it's hard. Um, and you, you might have some regrets, but you know what? I don't have regrets with what I've shared with the world, um, with my creativity, but there's certain things that I'd rather keep just for me, yes. you know, just that private, private time. I think it's yeah. important, but there's definitely stuff worth sharing and it doesn't have to be perfect ever. 
which is absolutely my motto too. I'm all about the process, all about the uh, approaching the blank page with a sense of curiosity and you being the observer of what comes for you and seeing what arises and just allowing that space to be filled with whatever comes and having no control over it just bypassing that need for control, which is why I work in a channeled way with my pencils. It's why I work in an abstract way with my paints. I don't want to know what the finished outcome it looks like. No, I don't want to know I, before. That's maybe my mistake was aiming for someone's face, which is very, mm. very particular. You know, very if you particular, get that wrong, yes. you're gonna you're gonna notice it. So I think yes. maybe I've picked the wrong subject. <laughs> maybe I maybe I should start with more abstract and uh well maybe you honed some painting skills with a subject that you could identify with and now mm. you can take take it somewhere else. Indeed. I mean the options <laughs> are just endless with Aren't they? So yeah, there's always be a million other things that I'm about to do, yes. but I don't know it yet. <laughs> exactly. So moving on then, um, with that backdrop of the, you know, the richness of creative process, creative experience in your life, take us into your story now about the challenge that you had to move through. Mm, mm, yeah. Um, yeah, it's not not the greatest of stories, but it's 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 certainly something that I've come through successfully. Um, so I was mentioning earlier about how I used to pretend all the time. I was pretending to be someone else. I would be a performer. I would sing my songs and there was always a mask in front of me, um, hiding, I suppose, me. I didn't feel confident enough just being me. I had to present something. I had to show something. I had to be somebody else. And I think when I left college and my world turned into a world of auditioning, um, up in London with thousands of other applicants, amazing dancers and singers, people who would blow your socks off. And I just felt so inadequate in the big wide world. I wasn't prepared for the big wide world and I wasn't prepared, prepared for the amount of rejection that I got on a daily basis. You know, um, a lot of theatre, acting, singing work, you have to audition and you will ultimately, you know, 9.9 .9 times out of 10, you'll be turned away. And that became really hard. So you focus your dreams on going on the X Factor or some of these big girl band auditions or some big West End theatre productions. And it's just an almost maybe, but not quite. There's something wrong with you. You're not, you don't quite fit. You know, someone once told me at college that, you know, in a room full of people, no one would notice me. And that stuck with me a long, long time. So with that in mind, I started, um, I didn't really want to touch drink or drugs and certainly not drugs. I wouldn't even touch paracetamol. So drink for me was something that came in my early twenties because I had an, a, an alcoholic uh, childhood. Uh, one of my parents was an alcoholic and I didn't want to touch some stuff. But when I did start drinking, I found like many people do this confidence, this self-assured kind of brave, exciting, those thrills, that rush, the buzz that you get initially from a drink and I used to think that I was a somebody with a drink in me. So I used to think I was much better <laughs> with alcohol in my system. Hey, so what happened? I just started drinking all the time. You know, it went from very much, not just a couple of social drinks with my friends, but it was, it was for auditions. It was to get up out of bed in the morning eventually. And it was then over the years, it was 24 seven. Um, I used it before gigs, big performances in the West End. I used it during, you know, to wet the whistle and I used it to come down afterwards. Um, I used to, I was describing recently uh, about how, you know, you'd finish your show somewhere and you see the auditorium empty and kind of a part of your soul empties. It's like whoosh, all that cheer, all that jaw is gone. You can't take that home with you. Um, so I used to take bottles of, of wine home instead and that used to fill that void, I suppose. So, you know, over the years that did take its toll um my music started to struggle I had um a record deal at the time and um basically my, my one of my co-writers he caught testicular cancer at the age of 24 and instead of supporting that I ran away I ran away to Australia um but I didn't realize that you actually take your problems with you <laughs> so I learned in Australia that I had to come home and get help so I moved in with my parents and um I think they they realized for the first time the extent of my drinking and how bad and how ill I really really was and the next few years I mean they battled to try and get me well they put me into rehabs where I'd escape I've jumped from first floor windows I've woken up in fire cupboards in blocks of flats I've you know um walked through miles in the snow with just my bare feet 
and ended up with frostbite. I've fallen asleep in the bushes in the snow. I used to like the snow a lot. Um, but this was all drink focused. It was all because that was all I had. I gave up work. I gave up music. I gave up my creativity, everything. I had nothing. I had nothing but drink. So with that in mind, my parents had no choice but to walk away. Uh, I ended up being evicted from um, a flat in Reading and for the first time I found myself street homeless in Reading, which is where I was born originally. And um, yeah, from there, it's months and years of street living in various different parts of the country. So I would be taken in to places around Bristol, Newbury, Reading. I eventually ended up in Brighton, um, which is where my world changed. But you know, we're talking maybe two years of, of, of street living and all being taken in temporarily into hostels, which is another horrific place to, to exist in the world. Um, I've been arrested countless times. I've been put into a prison on remand because, you know, they didn't know what to do with me. Um, and I was a repeat offender because I had one focus and that was to steal wine because I couldn't afford it. I did partake in drug taking when I could. Uh, that became a thing for, for quite some time, um, you know, but I found myself in, in Brighton eventually. <laughs> and thank God I did. And, mm. that, you know, I, I would never leave this place. It's 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 given me a life beyond my wild, wildest dreams, really, because I, you know, I spent two years. I got taken off the streets, basically. And people are always interested in how you go from street living to a normal yeah. life. You know, I'm now a homeowner with a business and car and, you know, I've, I've got friends and family and a beautiful life now. But what was the stepping stone? And basically, I was assaulted um, really badly uh, back in 2014. And I ended up in hospital, beaten black and blue, with 168 pictures of my body taken with all the various different injuries, cracked ribs, head CT scans had to be done. I wasn't allowed to see myself in the mirror for six weeks because they feared that that would leave a lasting memory that would not be good for my recovery. I had many, many people supporting me and I had police escorts everywhere with me because this man who did rape and assault me on the street was still out there large um, and approaching me from time to time. So I got used to a life of, of going shopping with a police officer undercover, you know, this was normal for me. Um, and eventually, I think they, they got me into a, a hostel, a 52 bed hostel. It was a wet hostel, which means that people in there were using um, their they supporters. They have key workers. Um, and it, it's just basically that that daily, you know, you have to wash, you have to eat, you have to do all of these things. But you also have a roof over your head so you can just lay in your room and you can drink all day long if you need to, if you want to. And that's not great. But something in me changed in those two years uh, that I was there. Um, and actually, it, what happened was that someone had given me a drug whilst I was there and it caused havoc with my body. So I ended up being rushed into hospital with my heart in, it, out, of, out of rhythm. I, I couldn't breathe. I was blue lighted into the hospital at very fast speed. I remember that. <laughs> I remember clang, clinging onto doctor's coats, you know, just, just I, for the first time in my life, I realised didn't actually want to die and all those years I've put myself in such peril such dangerous situations um drinking myself to oblivion taking drugs on top of the drink I, I mean I shouldn't really exist today Vicky if I'm honest yeah. <laughs> you know my body has been through a lot but it survived but this time I nearly didn't and when I went to shut my eyes I just you know I shut my eyes with this blind faith just blind faith that I would open them again you know and um I won't, I won't kill the end of the story, but I, surprise, I did wake up. <laughs> um, but this time, this time something was different. This time, that realisation that I didn't want to die, that I wanted to see my family, that I had nieces and nephews that I wanted to connect with. Um, I didn't know what my future looked like, but I knew, I knew I had to be different. So immediately, the first thing I did was actually sat with the woman opposite me. I was, I was incredibly ill. Um, I couldn't eat solids. I, I, was, I was weak. I could barely walk. I would take myself over to this this older lady opposite me um, who was struggling with with liver failure, kidney failure, all sorts of terrible things in her old age. And I'd just read these romantic novels to her that she'd brought along into hospital. So that was my focus was to, to focus on someone else, to support mm. someone else. And that realization, actually, I can be somebody to someone. I can be needed by someone. But by the end of it, she was asking me to come over, you know, and, and read to her. And I love that feeling of being needed and being a person that needed to be needed by someone 
Mm. Um, loneliness. I could see loneliness was, was in her and, and, and I knew that feeling. So I felt that I could be someone to, to help with that. So, and then started the recovery story. Um, yeah. You know, luckily I'd touched my, dabbled my little toes into recovery and I'd gotten to know a few people and an organization that actually ran a film course. <laughs> Um, and I, yeah, I got invited onto a film course, which I mean, I could see it wasn't brilliant film course, but it planted a brilliant seed and that is yes. worth its weight in gold because from there I was given a camera every so often I was given a laptop here and there, and I was able to kind of piece pieces of film together. And I found, you know, with my love of film, with my love of music, with my love of acting and theater, I was able to piece together a way of creating that was safe. And that again, touches on what we were talking about earlier, the safe creation of something I can perfect if I want. It doesn't have to be perfect. I can make it perfect in, in edit, <laughs> um, but I could piece something together that was visual, it was audio, and you could put it out into the world and share it with people, share stories, share dreams and, and music and, and, and the most amazing things. So eventually I started getting paid by little small businesses locally, you know, not much, but I started to earn some money so I started a limited company um and edit suite was running for about a year when I realized that actually um it it, it didn't have to just be a business it was put to me that actually it could run as a social mm. enterprise and I could help mm. other people because I had this need to help other people I had this want to give back to me what was freely given to me you know skills skills and an idea and a, and a planting of a seed so I wanted to do that with other people because I knew that my life had changed for the better. I was, yeah. I got out of the hostel. I was in my own flat. I'd started dating and, and meeting friends and I had my recovery groups and I was growing stronger by the minute. Mm. Um, and I had a business, you know, so I knew that it was possible. And from there, I mean, it's been six years of the same and growing that business yes. and growing everything within it. But it was put to me that I started a social enterprise and that's where I started the community group Horizon which is basically, it's a film course for people who can come on and learn everything from camera operations, sound engineering, editing, um, storyboarding, the whole lot, color grading, everything. They can come and just have a go. And more than that, they can come and be with like-minded people who are going through the same thing. And they can connect on that level where they can go, oh, I'm not alone, you know, for the first time, I'm not alone and I can share and say what I want. I can make mistakes if I want. I can play. I can turn up and not feel like I have to engage. And that's okay too. Yeah. You know, initially the film course for me, it would be amazing. If people just turned up for a cup of tea and a, and a biscuit and a chat, you know, but if they learned something, then that's a bonus. So for me, the course has, the community group's been running since 2019 and it gets bigger and better every year. And we help so many people and the impact, we've been doing impact measurements over the years. And we get something like 80% completing the course. We get 75% of those people going on to further education and training yeah. or starting their own small business or going into employment. And that ideally is what we, what we want to do long-term. And that's what we're doing long-term is helping people bridge a gap uh, to normal living and literally find themselves in a world where creativity is a way of life you know, and playfulness and fun and connectivity and sharing stories and sharing arts and crafts and music and every art form that there is. Um, mine <laughs> happens to be, you know, film and, and photography, but it's, it's not everyone's boat. But in that, there's sound yeah. and music and, and all sorts of things. So, I mean, it's an amazing story that you have. And I really want to honour you for telling your story so candidly, Annie, because there are, there are a lot of people that might be listening that are going through very dark times of their own or have been through very dark times and may have seen a small light at the end of the tunnel for themselves, but have just not known where to start or where to go or had you know, a story of hope that they can pin their own hope on. So first of all, thank you for, you know, telling that in the way that you've done and um but also just to move back to when you began horizon which three or four years ago because i mm. did that first course with you <laughs> um <laughs> you, you, were, you were offering spaces on it for people that were in recovery in aa style recovery yeah, because yeah. i was at the time going through coda um yes. which is the code yes. dependency recovery i thought right, right i'm gonna do that 
I'm going to go and see what that's like to be around those kind of like-minded people. And I'd really like to learn them skills. And what I found just to sell it a little bit more for you, because it's just so fabulous. It doesn't really need selling, but it's just so rich in what you were offering initially, right at the beginning in terms of that freedom of expression. You included theatre in it, which was obviously um, fabulous for me. And there was arty things and, and, and using drawing boards and, and getting, getting the actual hands on the photography equipment. And I know for me, revolutionized the way I used my phone camera. Yes, it was just so accessible for me. Do you remember? Do you remember that? Oh, the light bulb moment. Yeah, yeah, your picture. Yeah, it ended up in the Brighton Fringe and we got shortlisted for the award that year because exactly. the, the photography was amazing. So, yeah, 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 that did come from that. So that sparked a whole thing in me. So, you know, I've gone on to do a lot more learning about graphic design and using yeah. software and, you know, and stuff like that. And that just that just opened up an enormous new universe of things for me because my creative process has been very much hands on organic real life pencils, paint in the room, theater, dance, embodiment but it helped me move into the digital space, which has helped my business and my practice. Like, I mean, there's, there's no limit to what I can do. The more and more I learn, I can do that. And I just wanted to thank you again, because I've thanked you a million times, but thank <laughs> you again for planting that seed for me that I was able to, you know, to acquire those technical skills because it's a big deal. It's a big deal picking up a 35 mil camera and not really knowing yeah. what all the buttons do. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's that fear with. of tech and I think it's yes. that fear of, of the film production industry or the photography yeah. industry because these cameras are complex, laptops yeah. are complex, all the software, editing software, it's really difficult. And, yeah. I, you know, I'm self-taught in this. I started six, only six years ago yeah. and I only got my first DSLR four years ago. So, and, and since then, my film and photography has gone right up there. It's much, much more yes. professional now. But when I started, it was a handy cam and it was just pressing a button, but I was still able to have clients and paid work yeah. and get going. You know, it, we shouldn't let the fear of tech yeah. um, stop us from trying these things. Yeah. And that's why making film and photography accessible to people yeah. uh, without the technical jargon, I think it's so important because it's such a creative. Yeah, and you're very good at translating things into a very accessible language. Um, and because it's very practical and hands-on, people really get the opportunity to prove to themselves yeah. in really small steps that it yeah. is okay for them. And also what I'd like to do is I'd like to just highlight the fact that when, you, when you're creating a group that has a very um, clear and transparent focus in terms of the community that it's serving, in terms of addiction recovery community that you are serving there, you come to that creativity with a different level of consciousness. And I think there's a really interesting comparison to be made in terms of the story that you've already spoken about. And so you've been in this creative world, but you were also living kind of a dual life of this, all of these creative skills and talents that you have, but not feeling like that you were actually had enough value in just you as yourself. So using that as a mask. So there's a disconnect there. But when you move yeah. into a community where you're very clear about what people's challenges are, there is no hiding in what you're doing now. Absolutely and so not. the creative space becomes a very different beast, doesn't it, when you're that transparent? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, sharing my story helped... Um, you know, it helped in, in, in the rooms. That's what AA is. That's what CA is. Yeah. You know, you go in and share daily and you connect and you go, ah, that happened to me. Not quite yeah. the same story, but you can connect. And I think for me, that whole telling of the story and people going, wow, amazing. Well done you. I start to think, wow, there's value. There's real value in my story. So yes. let's make it count. And yes. I think that that turned for me because I, I, I was filled with guilt and shame. The fact that I've been in prison, the fact that I've lived on the streets and woken up in the most disgusting of states, like things that I probably wouldn't share with people. Um, <laughs> but there's certainly a lot of guilt and shame. And it's not a story that I thought I would ever willingly share. But now it has a purpose. Yeah. And that transparency helps others to connect. And it helps. It helped form the business, the social and the social enterprise, you know, it's being recognized for being something authentic because it's come from someone with that lived experience yes and lived experience is worth its weight in gold so for me yeah. my story has purpose every single hard step of the way 
now has a meaning. And for me, that's full circle. So I know now that I can put myself out there completely raw, transparent, open, no filters, boundaries, nothing. Yeah. I am me. And you know what? I'm celebrated more for it. Yes. And I think people are celebrated for their flaws, just like artwork should be celebrated for its flaws. It should be celebrated because it's not quite right. And we should yes. be celebrating the imperfections because that's what makes it different. Mm. And I remember being at school, even dressing slightly differently. And my mum going, yeah, but you're an individual. You're unique. You're different. But it wasn't celebrated. Mm. You know, kids weren't allowed to be different. They weren't allowed to, to challenge fashion and, and makeup and, and, and the things that they did. But you know, in my recovery, I see a world in Brighton where people are celebrated for being different, unique, themselves, open, honest. And I'm in a yeah. beautiful community where, you know, I meet people like you um, and so many others that are like us. And we're all a bit different. And we should be celebrating that every single day. And sometimes we just forget, you know, and we can slip into our old selves where self-doubt, mm -hmm. self, you know, kind of self-esteem is down everything is low and we you know that's what a good recovery is is to keep yourself on tip-top form in that in that in that way mm. and that's why creativity on a daily basis is so crucial for mental health for recovery and for life basically aren't yourself alive isn't that oh yourself alive exactly really? i mean i, I i've called Nothing it truer. this because of my story you know because i wouldn't be here without my um opportunities that i had to mm. fully express the emotional life that I was living mm. um, that was not allowed to be spoken publicly mm. as a truth. So in the same way that you were talking about, I hid behind it, but I hid behind the anonymity of it, not because I didn't have a value for who I was, but because being who I was, was dangerous. Mm. So yeah. I used the anonymity of the artwork and the writing and the characters in the theater yeah. in order to express, have that cathartic experience, whilst nobody would know that that's my real truth coming through. Interesting. So yeah, so. Slightly different approach, but. Slightly different healing. approach. So mm -hmm. it's just to see that there's a vehicle for you. It seems like that um, the vehicle was to try on personas to think about your worth and your identity. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was to try on these personas and put these masks on in order to safeguard my actual safety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All in protection of our little selves. All in protection of little selves, exactly. <laughs> and that's why I started this conversation about that spark from when you were a child. Yeah. That spark of freedom and curiosity and lightheartedness that is innate in everybody. And perhaps people don't have a childhood full of play and wild memories. No, and many don't, Many don't. But everybody must have a moment in their life at some point where they've been able to just access some kind of play or some kind of joy in whatever format. Mm, no, absolutely. Means. There was there was a definitive moment when I was in that hostel trying to think of ways in which I could get better, right? right? And I couldn't. I just I couldn't see my life or hitting my head on the pillow without a drink in me. I could not see it for the for the for the love of God, I couldn't see it. And um there was this one opportunity came up because they knew I liked to play guitar. They gave me this old broken thing. They fixed the neck on it, glued it back together. It gave me this beaten up old thing. And I started to play in my room and some people overheard me within the hostel and they're like, Oh, you're good. You're good. I was like, mm, I haven't played in years, but I, this is, this is for me. This is for mm. me in my room. But one day, uh, one of the key workers, he came in and he said, look, my, my daughter runs the Chaley heritage school for um, kids with dis disabilities, really severe disabilities. Um, but they love having people come in and play music for them. So we were wondering if you'd like to come in. And, you know, for the first time in many years, 13, 14, nearly 14 years, I think this was, without a drink of me, I wanted to start curbing the drink so that I could turn up to these kids, to this, to this home and play mm. and to be coherent and not to fall yes. over and be silly and, and be so drunk that I'm falling asleep. Um, I wanted to, so it was a real learning curve that, creativity helped me to just go do you know what I'm not going to take that second drink I'm not going to take that third I'm not going to I'm not going to overdo it I'm just going to give myself enough so I don't go into withdrawal and I'll give myself enough and I will play for them and then afterwards I can do what I want but the thing is it planted the seed it planted a routine it planted that whole thing of actually there are things to work towards mm -hmm. so being given that opportunity to share my creativity which is what I've always wanted to do 
to be given that opportunity at a time it, it was crucial it was really crucial and I'll never forget that opportunity and the kids would come out and bang drums and you know play things along with my music and um yeah it was such an amazing opportunity and that creativity in front of those people and I could see the challenging lives that they had ahead of them that was no choice of their own you know and it really makes you think mm. so I was I was sat here thinking I'm, I'm really privileged I'm lucky I'm lucky to be alive I'm lucky to be supported right now I've got a roof over my head let's do something so I started to, to really, really dig my heels in and, and, and look towards detoxing properly mm-hmm. and a proper, proper recovery. But another one of those hugely important seeds that without it, I don't know. I just don't know. And just one of those seeds, it so resonates there mm. that you'd really tapped into that little light of self-worth that you mm. were worth enough. Yes. Yes. Just ground yourself in the presence that you had the capacity for at that time to enjoy that creative process of performing without the kind of like West End expectations. No expectations. I mean, lovely. Yeah, they were so happy. Warts and all, it didn't matter what came out of my mouth. They were happy just that someone was in front of them with a guitar making a noise. Yeah, you're right. The expectation was low. It wasn't some big flash stage. I could be what I wanted. And it was one of the most joyful days that I've had, um, you know, in in addiction. (laughs) (laughs) And And the symbolism, Annie, of the broken guitar with the neck that had been fixed. Ah, can't let that escape (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it it was all meant to be and you know it doesn't matter what kind of noise it makes I think again warts and all that whole broken I was a broken thing too and I I was making the best noise that I could at that time and how healing that was for the whole room for all those kids the staff and for myself more more for me than for them Amazing. I love I love that that um, the, the idea that anything creative, whether that be movement or collaging or drawing or painting or music or stringing lyrics mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. all of these things are a practice in piecing ourselves back together. Yeah, we're all just being pieced mm-hmm. together with gold and becoming these exactly. Singular. Yes, I love that. That's kintsugi, isn't it? The kintsugi Japanese practice of yeah. Yeah. putting the broken pot back together. And we've all got our experiences. We've all got traumas that might need some processing we've all got parts of ourselves simply because of the nature of the the world that we live in that pushes and pulls us with Mm. expectation about who we should be who we could be you know rather than sitting with just exactly who we are and being allowed to have that freedom of expression whatever medium it comes through definitely you know in in my recovery I've definitely recognized from what you've just said then I've found myself being with certain people um, and I've been pretending to be this version of Annie who's amazing. They think this is amazing. So I better be that person and and it's dangerous ground. And actually I I went to therapy to, to get that sorted because I felt I had this massive connection with, with addiction all over again. I didn't touch drink or drugs, but I felt in my brain that addictive nature coming through whereby I had to hide behind the best clothes, the nicest meals out, the most expensive things that I could lavish these people with the most interesting gigs and photography exhibitions and all to impress someone and be somebody who actually I wasn't there are some days where I'm not going to be okay there's some days where I'm going to be vulnerable there's some days where my dress sense isn't quite normal (laughs) you know forgive me for these things but but you don't have to forgive me anything because I am me and this is a part of me so actually to, to to you know six years into my recovery to find myself putting on a persona in order to please someone else was it was yeah. a, a real learning curve and that was that was recently. It's the same story recycled isn't it it is completely but i knew mm. the warning signs this time yes and i yes. i seeked help straight away yeah. and i'm still recovering from that and now connecting yeah. again back with people who just let me be me and celebrate me for being me so so that's that's lovely link there who is Annie to Annie? Ah, Annie's just a big kid. <laughs> Annie's a big kid who's just doing her growing up later in life. Annie is incredibly resilient and strong. Um, Annie is creative without a doubt, but she doesn't always believe that her stuff is the best out there. But she's starting to learn that it doesn't matter. And that actually perfection is something I've got to let go of. Um, 
you know, there's a certain expectation with my films for corporate clients and things, yeah. that, you know, but yeah, I'm incredibly proud of myself. And I don't often say that. I don't often say that. And to say that out loud today is a big thing for me, because I think when you start saying things out loud, you start to believe it. But um, Annie had a purpose in life and it, it might have been to have gone completely wrong to be put right again to be sharing that with others and this is my purpose my purpose now is not to get an oscar or a bafta or a or a you know a brit award that stuff that i'm i'm happy in a room full of like-minded yeah. people creating stuff where i become blinkered in the creativity i'm like one of those show ponies which just i can't see anything else but what's in front of me and i am in that zone i can't hear you i can't see anything around me i'm just in that creative artistic space and that is where annie thrives that is my safe space it's my god it's my world within the world you know it's absolutely mine and no one can touch it because it's only me in there so it's an interesting place to be but yeah and in that sense how are you using your creative process now to um there's a phrase that i really love and it's rehearse Mm. the possible how do you rehearse the possible for yourself to increase your own capacity to um to thrive to um to love yourself a little bit more than you did yesterday how do you use it to rehearse that possibility rehearse the possibility it's an interesting phrase um because my life was all about rehearsals everything had to be rehearsed to be as perfect as it could be on stage so I do love that phrase I think for me it's learning that fear doesn't control me and what I mean by that is that if there's something that I is in my head to create or do or achieve so for example running a year-long course rather than just six six safe little weeks yeah I, I have pushed myself to the absolute limit and I've put myself out of my comfort zone but now it's happening I feel the most enormous sense of pride and joy and excitement at what lays ahead you know and I'm I'm, I'm always challenging myself with bigger bigger dreams because I tend to reach those dreams and go okay what's next? Cause I've achieved that, you know, I'm six years in, I've got, like I said, I've got my business, my charity, my home, my, my, my family, my friends, a beautiful life. So what is next? And, and next for me is to grow the business so I can reach more people. Yeah. Um, it terrifies the life out of me, but living in fear is no way to live. Um, it would hold me back in so many ways, you know, connecting with people, relationships, family, it, it, you know, my business is my life as well as all the people around me. So it's, it's a part, it's intrinsic to me. It has to be a part of my daily life. So I've got to rid myself of the fear and realize that actually, no matter how big the dreams, it's all possible. It's all possible. So um, it's just, just doing it day by day, chipping away and sitting with the discomfort of fear as well mm-hmm. and noticing it for what it is, not turning to a drink or a drug to numb it and get rid yeah. of it because fear is where we thrive. It's where I thrive. Um, it's not interesting. It's not easy but out the other side is that knowledge that you've overcome a fear and it's huge and it makes you stronger every day. It makes you much more resilient in the long term. you know? Yeah. So I hope that answers. we need to do, we need to build resilience for ourselves. Don't mm. we? We need to know that we're okay. Whoever we are, whatever we're doing, and we need to be able to face those empty spaces like the blank page, like your empty film roll. I know we don't use film roll anymore, um, but it's the, the, that possibility of the unknown and stepping into the unknown and not needing it to be any particular way. That's, for me, the crux of moving through fear. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The fear of the unknown is it's a terrifying thing, but you yeah. never know what you're going to find. That's what I'll always say. And the most amazing. We make friends with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you definitely have to. You, ha- you have to. And it will take a while, but it's, it's worth it every second of that, that unsettled feeling that we get, you know? So, yeah. yeah. I feel like that's a little bubble of excitement at the same time as fear. And, the, and, and there's a really interesting fine line between the two. Yes. And I find that lovely. I don't want it in my nervous system the whole time, 24 7, but I really no, appreciate it no. when it's there. <laughs> And, 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 you know, I do think that absolutely needs to be about, you can't live yourself sort of facing your fears every day, every minute of every day. I think it yeah. needs to be counterbalanced with all the good stuff, the meditations, yes. time with friends, time with family, time yes. on your own. Yes. People are forgetting to take them. I took myself out to Brighton for, for, for lunch the other day to myself. And it was so lovely. Sat in the sun and I just thought, you know, this is uncomfortable being me in this city, looking at people, you know, I think we all need to just mix it up and make sure that we get a healthy balance of all of these things and, and relax into our fears a bit. So 
in summing up then, Annie, wonderful conversation. I'm very so honoured that we've had this conversation. But if somebody here is now listening and they're thinking, I'm in a really dark place or I don't know where to start, I don't know what's an option for me, what would your words of wisdom be to help somebody begin planting a seed for themselves today? Interesting. I, I would say if there's if there is anything from your childhood that you, you used to do that you, you feel you've disconnected with, I'd say pick it up again. Like for me, picking up the guitar was was, was crucial um, to trust that I could relearn and to play again, you know, to actually realize that I could do these things. Um, start small and and you know I would also say reach out to your community have a little look online at what you know just research because bound to be something in recovery certainly there are many different platforms there's a record label out there doing sober gigs there's theatre companies there's obviously my film and theatre uh, sorry film and photography there's so many different things and opportunities now it's growing it's becoming a real creative community yes. where there should be something out there for everyone but it's not all about addiction and recovery of course there are things for mental health and well-being and people with all sorts of different backgrounds uh, you know whatever it is that is holding you back find your community reach out there's facebook there's there's social media there's all these areas where people have community groups out there and, you know, I used to, years ago, I wouldn't want to go to an AA group. I wouldn't want to go to, a, I don't want to go to a group. The word group just freaked me out, made me feel a bit nauseous, you know. <laughs> but now there's nothing nicer than to know that there are groups of people designed to be together to support one another. And people will always you know, show you around and, and show you what's possible. Yes. And just listen, listen to other people's experiences and, and know that actually underneath it's just day by day, one step at a time. Um, you know, it, it could go from songwriting into, into a bit of painting or drawing, a bit of whatever it, whatever it is. And even if it's something that you feel that you cannot do, like me with film production, I would never have put myself in this position <laughs> years ago of, of, of running an, a film production company. But here I am, all because I picked something up and tried it out one day and yeah. I fell in love with it. Yeah. So try new things. Try it. Just try. You've got nothing to lose, but everything to yeah. gain. Absolutely. Day by day, step by step, nothing to lose. Absolutely. Yeah, really lovely message to end on. So thank you so much, Annie, for this conversation. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to put your links underneath um, wherever this podcast is aired so that people can see a little bit more of your work. Um, But yeah, day by day. Yeah, yeah. And if if anyone is struggling with addiction, then, you know, please do try one of the courses out. We've we've got plenty coming up later on in the summer. So, you know, sign on up and come on down. You're welcome for a cup of tea and just have a nose around um, and see what we get up to. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you, Vicky. It's been a real joy. You're very welcome, Annie. Thank Thank you so much. All right. Take care. (laughs)